Hey, 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 everyone. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. You're the listeners. How's everyone doing today? We doing okay? I'm doing pretty good. I'm happy. It's been a pretty wild, uh, pretty wild month, <laughs> uh, which is finally kind of coming to a close with this weekend's charity stream. So uh, if, if you don't know, if you don't remember, if you haven't listened before, uh, I actually took a vacation. Uh, well, actually, my, my assistant, one of my assistants took a vacation. As soon as he got back, I took my vacation. And then as soon as we got back, we had one week, I think, of normalcy. And then it was my other assistant's wedding, and he's on vacation on his honeymoon right now. And then this weekend is the 24-hour Extra Life charity stream slash charity sale at Game Trade. So it's, uh, it, it is that time of year that, like the month of October, it, this one was a weird one. There's so much stuff going on. But first, let me talk about that. So first, I want to say any updates about anything from me as regards to the sales or to my charity streams or my streaming and that stuff, please, please, please follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. Uh, right now, I'm Ghoul Trade Greg because of the little Halloween spoops. But uh, um, Game Trade Greg, follow me on there. So anyway, the reason I say that is because this Saturday, so just in under a week now, we have our annual charity sale. So this this is the one time a year. This is what we put everything into. All year long, we're raising money. We're, we're doing raffles, doing everything. All of it leads to this. So during our anniversary sale in April, I raised a bunch of money selling raffle tickets for art. That all went to the charity. Um, if you don't know what Extra Life is, Extra Life is like a portal, basically. It's a company that helps connect you and help you donate money to a charity. So there's an Extra Life portal that I connected to and you get to pick what charity you play for. So I decided to play for the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. I think obviously it's local, which is great. But I also I mean, it's, it's, it's something really touching to me. I don't have children of my own. And I'll be honest, I don't think I'm ever going to. But I, I just think there's something about not even being allowed to have a fair chance. You know, I, I think kids, especially, you know, they deserve to, to live that life and, and they deserve to get treatment. And so anything I can do to help that, I think is fair. So while I don't have any kids of my own, I can appreciate the good work that they do at the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. So that's why we play for that. That that's that's our charity. That's our thing, and that's what we raise money for every year. Last year, a lot of people may not know this if you've just a recent listener, but last year we raised fifty five hundred dollars, which maybe in the grand scheme of things doesn't seem like a lot to a lot of people. Obviously, Game Informer raises like hundred thousand dollars and all these other huge companies do more well that's okay because i'm just one person in a store and in a small town but we're, we're we're what we do matters and what we do helps but last year we were i went on the radio because i every every week during the football season i go on the radio friday mornings with the local sports radio and we talk about the madden simulation i simulate the green bay packers game on madden football we go in we talk about it and all as well and it's fun well this week i'm going to be in studio and last year when we did it the the fundraiser hadn't technically started yet. We had put a little bit of money in there, but you know, really the the stream doesn't start till Saturday morning. So the fundraiser hadn't even started yet. We were at I think maybe our goal was originally three thousand dollars, and I want to say we were at five hundred. Somebody kicked in a twenty five hundred dollar anonymous donation to put us over our goal. It was unbelievable. It was I was so like uh, just overwhelmed with happiness about that. Just awesome. And I don't know who it was. <laughs> and they, they were totally anonymous. I can't thank them. If it happens to be one of you out there, I mean, 
thank you so much. I will, I will never be able to explain that feeling I had when I saw that. When I set the goal at 3,000, I thought it was impossible. So because of that, because part of what we do at the sale is we give 10% of our total sales that day, we give that to the charity, we donate that. So say the store does 10, 15,000 that day, uh, it could be, it'll be $1,000 to $1,500 game trade gives to the charity. So I figure we'll end up probably being somewhere around like a thousand bucks. If I had to guess based on the popularity of the sale, where it's at, stuff like that, the amount of people interested, you know, you never know. I, it's so hard to say sometimes with sales, it really depends on the product you have and how many people come out of the house, even the weather, you know, it, it's freaking snowed this morning. <laughs> it's it, we've got three inches of snow on the ground and it's not even Halloween yet. But, uh, so sometimes that can keep people away, but, uh, you never know. So I'm assuming we're going to donate about a thousand there. So right now we're at about $700 and then we're going to throw another thousand from that plus figure another couple hundred bucks from Saruji's chocolate bars and all that. So that's going to put us at around $2,000 already. Um, which, so you think about it and I'm like, well, last year I had to do better than last year. So we raised 5,500 last year. So I had to do more. Um, but without that anonymous donation, it'd be very hard to hit. And so we'll see, you know, I, I know it was a fluke thing and I, I, I loved it, but I can't expect that to be a thing every year. I don't expect a, a person every single year to donate that kind of money. It was amazing. It was, it was life changing for someone that amount of money and probably not that big of a deal to the person who gave it, you know, sometimes that's how it goes, you know, to them, it wasn't a big deal, but to, to us, to me, it was amazing. And so getting to $6,000, in my opinion, is going to be impossible. <laughs> I don't even think we're going to get close. But I'm hoping that uh, that people step up. And the people that listen to this, even if everybody donated five bucks, we'd be so we'd be so close. You know, if everybody who was who liked my Facebook page donated a dollar, we would get there. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy uh, to think how how many people can make a difference. And so um, I'm doing the the charity live stream. Hopefully, we can we can get that out. Um, I would ask if anyone out here has Twitch apps on their phone or is at home. Even if you don't sit and watch the whole thing, even if you have it on, a lot of times that helps. The more people that watch, the more the more it's it's shown to people like in their feeds, and so then people are gonna hop in and check it out. So please, 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 if you could share it and have have Twitch up and everything, I'd really appreciate it. Again, follow me on Twitter. At Game Trade Greg, everything there link wise is there. I'm gonna be tweeting out some live video as I go live on Twitch, so that'll just be the place to know when everything's happening. But I intend on starting at 7 a.m. Saturday morning. Um, I just I just thought started thinking of the schedule yesterday, so I haven't I don't have a finalized schedule yet, but it's a rough schedule of what I'm gonna play for the 24 hours. Is this roughly we're going to play? Um, in the morning, I think I'm going to start with Monster Hunter. Monster Hunter Iceborne, my buddy Mike and I are just going to grind some Gilded Lands, kill some monsters, have some fun, get my uh, Master Rank over 100, get that knocked out, and start farming better gear. I think I think that's what I'm going to do. That, that I, I plan on doing that for four or five hours. Noon Around noon, my buddy Jack's going to show up, and we're, my plan is to play Metal Gear Solid and Snake's Revenge back-to-back. I think that'd be awesome. I think playing Metal Gear games back-to-back would be incredible. So we're going to do that. And after that, so that I'm guessing that's going to be around 4 or 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock rolls around. I think I'm going to play some WoW Classic. I'm going to play WoW Classic till about 9 o'clock. And at 9 o'clock, Dave and Dom will be done with the sale. They're going to come over. And Jack, myself, Dave, and Dom, we're going to play four-player Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I've never played that game four-player all the way through before. We're going to do it. So 9 o'clock, Nightmare on Elm Street, four-player. We're going to crush that game. 
It's going to be awesome, actually. I'm pretty excited about it. I just hope it doesn't lag and doesn't doesn't suck four-player, but we'll see. Uh, and then after we're done with that, so probably around 10, 11 o'clock, we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, play some PUBG. So that's where I get the old gang together. If you've watched my extra live streams in the past, there's always some wild antics in the wee hours of the morning when it comes to PUBG because that game creates moments and it's hilarious and I suck at it. I'm, I'm not good, but we're going to have some fun with it and it's going to be a blast. So we'll do that until usually those guys quit out around two, three in the morning. They, they lose out and they're just like, man, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I got no more energy in me. They fall off and I've got about, usually at that time I got about four hours left to go. And this is the key moment of a 24 hour live stream. This is where you get to, if I, get bored I get tired if I get tired I'm never gonna make it and the t more tired you are the longer and slower time goes now I'm gonna try something I've never tried before this year it is daylight savings time this weekend so I'm going to try and go 25 hours because that would be 7 a.m. to 7 a.m. I'm not gonna commit to it <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna try I'm not gonna commit to it because if it's 6 in the morning and I'm at 24 hours and I can't keep my eyes open I'm done I'm out, but I would love to try it. I like pushing myself. And then eventually one day we could try going longer. Hell, I could probably do a 48 hour stream. Not all by myself need some sleep in there, but that doesn't mean me, Jordan and Jeremy couldn't all do it from the drop rate or something like that. So, uh, but that's kind of the schedule. And then after we play PUBG and it's really early in the morning, I think I'm going to go back to some wild WoW classic and, and play some more of that. I need to revisit that. Now I could probably swap out for other games. I technically have been playing outer worlds on my Xbox one that's a pretty fun game. I just don't know how much fun it is to stream. You know, like like to have an audience and talk while you're going through and playing. Plus, I'm playing it on uh, on Xbox One, and I really like the controller's fine, but the controller's so touchy with a first person shooter. I'm not really, I, I I'm not really having a lot of fun with it. But it doesn't matter. Um, the game itself is fun, just not having fun with the controls. I I should say. Um, but enough babbling on about that. So please, I mean, any any donation is appreciated even a like or a share or a retweet on twitter helps a share on facebook helps um i have a facebook on my personal facebook which is public though i have uh i have an event set up like my charity event through extra life is set up um and so i will uh i will put the links uh in the description for this podcast and i just i guess i'm just trying to do everything i can you know i'm just trying to raise as much money as i can for for kids in Wisconsin that could use it, you know, and, and it's not just because it's local. I mean, that helps. I think that's neat, but it's also just because it's like, it has an impact here, you know? And when I opened game trade, I, I always told myself like, yes, this is a business. I want to make money. I want to do things, but I also want to be a, 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 something in the community. I want to, I want to do more, you know, I want to, I want to help. And, and I think businesses can be responsible that way and can help. And, and, and that's always to me been a personal responsibility. Like the, you know, if you have, and you can, you help. And, and that's just something that my, my parents instilled in me when I was, when I was young. And, and I say that as someone who grew up with very little money and who, um, didn't have a lot growing up, you know? And, and so it's, I guess it's my way of maybe paying it forward. If you want to think of it that way. But in any case, uh, we got a couple stories we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, uh, Fortnite, Chapter two, uh, or excuse me, Fort Epic Games is suing a Fortnite tester who leaked Chapter two. We're going to talk about Bethesda selling a hundred dollars a year Fallout seventy six subscription, which is hilarious because I thought they were going to make the game free to play last <laughs> last March, and they're scorning me by making it actually going the wrong direction. 
Uh, and then lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about Shigeru Miyamoto, obviously the immortal game designer, created some of the most amazing games uh, ever, and uh, he was honored uh, in Japan. And we're going to go through his gameography, uh, if you will, and we're going to talk a little about the impact he's had on society. So uh, we're going to we're going to start it up, and we'll get going. And uh, and here we go. So first up on the podcast today, like I mentioned, we're going to be talking about Epic Games and how they're suing a Fortnite tester who leaked Chapter 2. Now, you see this headline, and instantly you start to think, oh, man, like, screw Epic Games. Why are they suing a Fortnite tester? You know, all he did was leak Chapter 2. I, I, come on, why, why are we doing this? Well, if, you're, if you believe that, I think you should probably stop watching the video now because I can just be honest with you, I'm not going there. In fact, uh, I, I'm going to be going a little bit in the opposite direction. So now that I've said that, you can thumbs down the video and get out, <laughs> or you can stick around and see if maybe I can change your mind. <laughs> um, in any case, the article reads as such. Epic filed the lawsuit today in North Carolina court alleging that Ronald Sykes, known online as Invisible Llama 9, leaked information about Fortnite's now-revealed Chapter 2. Earlier in October, Fortnite went offline for two days. Epic claimed that a black hole had engulfed the game. This, of course, was all part of the marketing plan. The game returned with a new map and other significant changes. It's an event Epic had been building up, uh, building to for months through its first 10 seasons, spread inside and outside of Fortnite in hints and hidden Easter eggs, according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit said Sykes broke a non-disclosure agreement by revealing information he learned as a user experience tester. He did so at the expense of Epic and those in the Fortnite community who were anxiously awaiting the new season of Fortnite only to have some of Epic's planned surprises spoiled by Sykes' leaks, the lawyers wrote. Um, okay, so uh, let's start there. Um, so first, I'm sorry, if at, at the very least, it's incredibly unprofessional. Ronald Sykes, if you're a tester and you're an experienced tester, and you're trying to help make this game better, you're, you're basically, I mean, you can think of it as a beta test, you know, a secret beta test, I guess, if you will. And you sign a non-disclosure agreement saying, I won't talk about this game, because it's not, that's not it. That's, I'm not supposed to. <laughs> and then you leak things, you should get in trouble for that. I'm sorry. And, and, and I know that there's probably a lot of Fortnite fans out there who are like, but we just wanted the info, and he's like a hero. You know, this isn't like, this isn't a, a, an NSA whistleblower, okay? This is somebody who, who essentially leaked information about a video game before it came out. Now, it's not like there was a public play test in California and they all played it and then he came out saying how awesome it was. He was part of a private event. They were trying to keep things secret and he, and he, he signed a non-disclosure agreement and then he did reveal things. <laughs> so I, I, at, at, the, at the least, it's unprofessional. Illegal? Yeah, technically, don't sign the agreement if you don't want to do that. You know, and there's this weird sort of, oh, how, how do I say it? Like, there's this weird sort of, um, I uh, what's the right verbiage here? But basically, there's this weird sort of experience going on right now where people want to leak things. They want to be known as the hero. People love knowing things. And, and I, I'm the same way. I love knowing things. But people want to be the hero. And people want to be the first to leak something. This person threw all what they knew out the window that was smart, and they leaked it. For what, five seconds of fame? Five minutes of fame? and A day or two, maybe, where people were... And, and arguably, people were probably questioning him anyway. They were probably not believing him. So then you have to sit there defending yourself all day, only to find out that it's true, and then you get sued by the company. Um, I will say a little bit, you know, this. I know this is a little bit of lawyer speak to ham it up, but things like... 
He did so at the expense of Epic and those in the Fortnite community who were anxiously awaiting the new season of Fortnite, only to have some of Epic's planned surprises spoiled by Sykes' leaks. Yeah, I mean, let's not talk about, you know, the problem here being that it's ruined it for the fans. <laughs> now, I'm not uh, I'm not a big Fortnite guy, but I am enough in the scene where, like, I do, um, I should say in, in video game news and stuff, when I'm on blogs, I'm reading a lot of stuff, I didn't hear anything about Fortnite leaks. Now, I don't care about Fortnite, so it's possible that it came across my timeline, and I was like, Fortnite, get it out of here. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't like it was on the front page of every gaming magazine and every gaming news site out there you know it was different than that it was it was much much lower key so they act like somehow millions of people were affected i highly highly doubt that only really the people affected were probably the ones who were seeking out such things and if you're seeking it out then you shouldn't be surprised or spoiled but again that doesn't make it right that just you know it's funny that the lawyers are arguing that it hurt the, the poor customers that epic cares so much about <laughs> Um, the article goes on to say Sykes played Fortnite's new content in late September and three days later he tweeted to another Twitter user that he had quote played season 11 and can tell you the new stuff and quote <laughs> what is this guy five <laughs> he's like a 12 year old kid played S12 and can tell you the new stuff according to the lawsuit he tweeted again from another account and revealed that in Fortnite chapter 2 players would be able to swim Sykes continued to post about Fortnite secrets including an image of the new map in the lead up to the event. Now that is a bigger deal. Now now you're not just talking about something that you saw even though you're not supposed to do that. Now you're sharing like essentially stolen images. You probably took a picture of the map with your camera and then sent that out. Eek. Yikes. That's not good. Um Epic is asking for injunction relief and maximum damages for Sykes' breach of contract and misappropriation of trade secrets he learned while testing for the developer. As a direct result of Sykes' breach of his contractual obligations under his NDA, Epic has sustained and will continue to sustain damages in an amount to be determined, Epic said in the lawsuit. Now, that is also tricky. It is difficult to figure out what damages actually were sustained because oftentimes in these, you have to have a legitimate damage to file a claim. You can't just say, oh, you know, I, I it's a million dollars. He owes us a million dollars. I will say, though, that there are companies out there specifically designed to figure out this number <laughs> where they're going to hire a company and then they're going to charge extra for having to hire the company to figure it out. It's, it's quite the racket, but it is how it works. Um, an Epic representative told Polygon it does not comment on ongoing litigation and Sykes did not respond to Polygon's request for comment probably because his lawyer said not to. Uh, and then this goes on to say there's other times Epic has sued someone for leaking Fortnite secrets, uh, they sued a QA contractor for a season three leak, um, stuff like that. So besides being unprofessional, what I would also say, and I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Sykes, I don't know you. you. I don't know if you're a good fella or not. I'm not, <laughs> not going to assume so, but I'm not going to assume not. What you did was one of the dumbest things you could have done for your personal career. No one is going to ask you to help hire you or work with you on anything like this ever again. You couldn't keep the lid on Fortnite secrets for a couple weeks. That does not bode well for you and your future career. So I really hope that this was some sort of one-off where maybe he was like, you know how sometimes they bring in movie screeners. If it was something like that, obviously not a big deal, but if he was trying to break into the industry, even to be a QA, uh, tester or to to work on other companies no company that has ndas and has trade secrets is going to ever touch this guy 
because why would you? There's a million other people out there that haven't done it and that do take these things very seriously. So uh, as much as it is unprofessional, I don't like that. I don't like that it's really stupid career-wise. Uh, and I also, I mean, and it technically is illegal. So I, I don't understand. Again, it goes back to this whole the five-minute hero. You know, I, you just wanted to be popular and famous and brag to somebody that you knew things about Fortnite before anybody else. Now, if it was a little different, like say, say Sykes came home, talked to his wife in bed one night. He's like, hey, oh, it was a tough day. You know, I was, I was, um, playing, you know, I was testing the new Fortnite, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you that, but I was testing the new Fortnite and I actually, I got bugged while, while swimming against a wall. And she's like, honey, I didn't know you could, you could swim in the new Fortnite. And he's like, oh shoot. Um, yeah, but don't tell anybody. Okay. I'm not supposed to tell you that you can swim in Fortnite. So then <laughs> this hypothetical is so stupid. So but bear with me. So in a couple days later, his wife finds out dirty pictures on his phone. He's been sexting with a coworker. She's out of there. So she leaves the guy. She contacts Epic and goes, hey, he was telling people all the secrets about Fortnite. That would be a totally different situation, right? Laughable situation. But that wouldn't be as bad as going onto Twitter with the information you have and then being like, hey, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I got secrets, man. You got secrets? I got secrets. I got secrets in my coat pocket over here. I got lots of secrets everywhere. You want some secrets? Ah, it's just silly to me. Uh, it was a dumb move, uh, and, and the person uh, got in trouble for it, and I think rightfully so. All right, next up on the podcast today, we're talking about Bethesda going further down the rabbit hole of insanity with a $100 annual subscription to Fallout 76. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast or watching my Greg Talks for a while, you'll know that I predicted uh, unsuccessfully, inaccurately, that by March, Fallout 76 would be free to play. Well, it seems that clearly Bethesda saw my <laughs> saw my video, clearly, and said, let's screw that guy over and let's go the other way. Yeah, you know, instead of, instead of going free to play, hold up, we're going to charge people 100 bucks a year for exclusive features. What do you think about that? Suck on that, drop rate, Greg. Oh, they got me good. What can I say, Bethesda? You're playing 600D chess, and I'm just over here bumping rocks together. But all joking aside, y'all, I'm not that dumb. I can play chess and checkers. Uh, <laughs> the headline reads, Bethesda is now selling a $100 annual subscription for exclusive Fallout 76 features. goes on to say, there's never a dull moment in the world of Fallout 76. The online publisher game... The excuse me, the online multiplayer game of post-apocalyptic survival and adventuring. Last week, publisher Bethesda announced that the game's much-requested edition of computer-controlled characters was delayed until next year. So remember when they said there were no human NPCs in the game, only human players, just robot NPCs? Well, now they were adding human NPCs, but that got delayed to next year. Today, the publisher said that it will be selling premium subscriptions that will provide players with access to private servers at a cost of $13 a month or $100 a year. I don't even know who thought this was a good idea at Bethesda. I don't know how anyone thought this was a good idea. But anyway, going on, Bethesda calls the new program Fallout First and pitches it in a new blog post as a, quote, premium membership that offers something players have been asking for since before launch, private worlds for you and select friends, end quote. 
which by the way, I think that's awesome. I think that should have been something from day one. Having to pay for that seems bonkers. You should be able to set up your own Fallout 76 server on your computer like, you know, every other freaking game in the world had and then put your own mods on it and deal with it. If you paid 60 bucks for that game, you should be able to mod it out that way. I'm sorry. And they've been so supportive of mods in the past with their single player games. And again, it's a private server. Who cares? Um, okay, so here's what Fallout First member benefits are. Private worlds, play in a private world exclusively for you and up to seven friends. Well, that's cool. Scrapbox, unlimited storage for crafting components in your own new scrapbox container. Okay. A survival tent, a new placeable fast travel point with a stash, including sleeping bag and more for your basic needs. Atoms, you receive 1,650 atoms per month to use in the atomic shop. So we give you the currency that you have to use to buy stuff from us. Um, Ranger armor outfit, an iconic Fallout outfit exclusively for members, so you get exclusive armor, of course. Unique icons and emotes available only to members. And that's what Fallout First brings you. For $100 a year, you get access to a bunch of stupid crap. <laughs> um, okay, um, now the article goes on to say, since its release, the actual game quality of Fallout 76 has been improving thanks to some new quest and meat-themed events, and its players remain creatively inspired. But there is still myriad gameplay frustrations, and the overall enterprise is still frequently dismissed as a misfire, the delivery of a not-quite-followed MMO, not-quite-proper Fallout game. The news of Fallout First has, among other things, inspired a pretty harsh pun. The addition of a subscription model is odd, especially as many gamers move towards other models, including Fortnite-style season slash battle passes. For comparison, a monthly World of Warcraft subscription costs $15. Regular Netflix costs $13, the same price as a monthly Fallout First. I think EA Access and like Xbox Game Pass technically is like around that price. So you play, pay that for one game with a private server or for like hundreds of games. Um, notably, Fallout 76 has not gone free to play. The base game still costs $40 or cheaper used at Game Trade and appear. <laughs> notably, Fallout 76 has not gone free to play. The base game still costs $40, though appears to be on sale in most shops for $24 at the moment. Fallout 76 remains Bethesda's biggest thing going as its next large release, Doom Eternal, was recently delayed from November to March. Now, that is a really good point at the end. I think Bethesda thought they were going to ride Fallout 76 through essentially a yearless uh, a game uh, a gameless year 2020 uh, obviously doom internal is in there we don't have a new fallout game coming out we don't have a new skyrim or we don't have a new elder scrolls game coming out all those are pushed back um that the star the space game they're working on that's not out yet so and that's not going to be out i don't believe in 2020 so they were hoping i think that fallout 76 would have this sort of you know fortnite power for uh, revenue generating power that could carry on. And I think they were really wrong with that. Plus they really botched this. I mean, if they had gone just free to play and then started offering like, you know, 30 bucks a year for private servers, I think people would jump on that. And people are jumping on this. Don't get me wrong. Like there are fallout 76 people who are buying this stuff. The whales, if you will, like the old app store, um, you know, terminology, the old, the old mobile gaming terminology, the whales, you know, there are people out there who are going to pay for this stuff. And so it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. If P I'm not forced to play it. So I personally don't care. I played Fallout 76. I thought it was fun for about eight hours. And then my brother and I got bored with it. And I paid 60 bucks down the tube just to play it. What are you going to do? You know, you take a chance, you get dinged. I would never pay for private server access to this game. <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever. Now, unfortunately, let me see if I can find it here. But, uh. I was seeing things. 
I was seeing things talking about um, people having problems with it, saying that the servers weren't even private anyway. Yeah, here we go, right here. So Forbes talked about this. So, oh, please get out of here. Oh, sorry, I can't look at Forbes because they were making me turn off my ad blocker. Sorry about that. Um, well, it looks like that was the only one. To... Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Let me close that out. Okay, doesn't matter. Basically, though, what I was reading was that people were opening items and things were already looted in their private servers and that their scrap uh, scrap box was, when it got too full, was deleting their collections of scrap. <laughs> so obviously there's always going to be bugs to work out, but my goodness. I mean, if you're going to offer something like this and two of your benefits are two of the things on there, on your sheet, and they don't work, that's not good. And, and so add this to the litany of Fallout 76 misfires if you're being nice screw ups if you're being me and uh we got the moldy helmet right we talked about that uh we talked about the can the canvas bags we talked about that the shoddy launch obviously the bugs the issues npc additions getting pushed back and then throw this on there woof i mean clearly the game's making money or they would scrap it no pun intended but it is uh, in my opinion fault 76 will always be a failure it, it, it uh, like the end of this article said i quite agree with that um it just it missed the mark. It was not an MMO Fallout, and it's not a good multiplayer Fallout. All we really wanted was multiplayer Fallout. You know, it's not that hard. It's actually really easy to do that. Well, not easy. I'm sorry. Let me back that up. I'm sorry. As a game, as a as someone who has worked on games before, nothing's really easy when it comes to games. But you can't tell me that that's not something that they could work on. If they made that a focus, they could do it. A studio like Bethesda GameWorks could do it. So I'm not going to say it's easy, but they could do it if they really wanted to. But instead, they give us this half-assed, you know, pay-to-play nonsense. All right. And lastly, on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Shigeru Miyamoto, who you might know as, you know, the, the father of Mario, the father of Zelda, the father of a whole bunch of incredible Nintendo properties. So he was recently honored by the Japanese government as a person of cultural merit. So every year they do this, they say they do about 20 different people. I find it interesting that it took so long to get him up there because in 2012, Miyazaki from Studio Ghibli was in there. Uh, they, Along other winners with him this year, uh, Moto Hajio, they were 11, and the Poe Clan, that's a manga creator, and filmmaker uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi, who did House and Hanagatami. I don't, again, like I said, Miyamoto's been around forever. So it's kind of surprising, I guess, that it's taken this long. But maybe it's something you have to be nominated for. Maybe he didn't want it. Maybe he had to put his own name. I don't, who knows? Who knows what, what all that takes? So we're not going to criticize it. But it's a pretty, apparently a pretty big honor. So congratulations to him. So I thought with this news, because there's not a whole lot going on there. That's pretty much the story, right? But I thought with this all going on, why don't we go over his gamography. And so this is uh, a discography would be a band's list of albums. A gamography is a game designer's list of games they've worked on. So his first game ever worked on 1979, a game called Sheriff and a game called Radar Scope. He was designer on both those games. Uh, these are all arcade games. He goes on in 1981, Donkey Kong. He's the director and the designer of Donkey Kong. He created Donkey Kong, a little iconic, right? He was also the designer of Popeye, which I actually did not know that. And uh, I love that game. I played on ColecoVision all the time. He was a designer of Mario Brothers, baseball, tennis, golf. So basically all those black box Nintendo games, he was a designer on almost all of them. Donkey Kong 3, 
Devil World, which we never got here. Excite Bike. He was a designer of Excite Bike. How awesome is that? Now, after that, it looks like they must have they promoted him to a little different role. He was also then directing and producing quite a bit after that. He produced Urban Champion. He produced Ice Climber. And then in 1985, he directed, produced, and designed Super Mario Brothers. I mean, this was, it's arguably the most influential game of all time. And it sparked a success, and it sparked something, and it sparked a movement to where we are today. If you like playing video games today, a lot of credit goes to Shigeru Miyamoto and this game. Especially a lot of the games you're playing that are indie games today, when they were when the people making those were kids and playing stuff like this. And these were the games that inspired those games. Very, very, if, if you are a fan of video games, you have to appreciate what this game has given to us. It's done a lot. Um, then, Super Mario 2, not, not our Super Mario 2 in the U.S., but Super Mario 2 in Japan, or known as the Lost Levels to us. He was the director. Legend of Zelda. Heard of that game? 1986. So a year later, right after the banger that is Super Mario Brothers, he directs, produces, and designs The Legend of Zelda. I mean, this, the, you know, I'm not, I'm not gushing over the guy. I'm not gushing over Nintendo at this point. I'm just impressed at the level of iconic, inspired, inducing inspiration, inducing games that this person created. Again, another staple of so many other games in the future. Uh, it goes on to say the mysterious Murasame uh, Castle. He directed and produced that. I don't know what that is. I should play that sometime. And then we have uh, Doki Doki Panic slash Super Mario Bros. 2. I, I don't really like that they're put together, but that's fine. Um, he was the producer and designer of that game. Zelda 2. He was the producer of Zelda 2. He was the director and the producer on Zelda or on Mario 3. He was the producer of Mother or Earthbound, the first Earthbound game, Earthbound Zero to us. He was the producer of F-Zero, producer of Super Mario World, producer of Pilot Wings, producer of Yoshi. Now, I could see a lot of you saying, well, he was a producer. He wasn't making the game. He wasn't designing it. Now, in movies, movie producers typically don't do anything. Movie producers, are it's a title often given to people with clout, investors, things like that. They don't often have a lot of say when it comes to the movies. Sometimes they do. Oftentimes don't. A game producer and a game director much more involved in the process. A game producer is much, much more involved in the process. He might just be overseeing the project, still has massive input, still has a lot to say, more so than, say, like I said, a movie or TV show producer would do. Like like Dick Wolf produced Law & Order. Do you think he ever worked on the show or even talked about it after he created like the first few seasons? Probably not. But that's not quite how it works in video games. Um, so we, we're going on. Uh, again, producer on Zelda, Super Mario Kart, Mario Paint, Wave Race... Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, and then gets back in the designer's seat in 1993. So he for, for quite the span there, four years, he was just producing games. Must have been promoted at the company. He was overseeing all of the Super Nintendo projects. Now we have him as a producer and a designer on Star Fox, the original Star Fox. That was kind of a banger. Uh, then he was the director and producer of Super Mario All-Stars. Then he produced Yoshi Safari, Donkey Kong for the Game Boy, Stunt Race FX, Killer Instinct, he was a producer on. Now, we all know that that was Rare, who created the game, but obviously he was in a supervisory role there. Um, Donkey Kong Country says he didn't. he's credited for it, but isn't anywhere on here. Okay, that's funny. Uh, produced Kirby's Dream Course. Then uh, produced Yoshi, uh, Super Mario World 2, Mole Mania, Super Mario RPG. 
and then in 1996 got back in the designer role, designed Pilot Wings 64. Not my favorite 64 game. Not very uh, iconic, I guess, in everyone's memory. Um, produced Pokemon Red and Blue, Kirby Superstar, directed and produced Super Mario 64. Few people like that game. <laughs> Wave Race 64 produced, Mario Kart 64 produced, and then Star Fox 64 directs or excuse me produces and designs. So Star Fox is his baby. Star Fox 64. That's one of the best multiplayer 64 games there is. Awesome game. Produces Yoshi Story, 1080 Snowboarding, F-Zero. And then in 1998, directs, produces, and designs Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Which, while I'm not the biggest fan of Ocarina of Time, Ocarina of Time is influential and to so many people. The 64 was a lot of people's first system and a first introduction to Nintendo. A younger generation than myself. And Ocarina of Time is their favorite Zelda game because that ushered in the new era of Zelda games. The new 3D runaround and the new formula that you see that still applies to Zelda games today. Uh, gone were my favorite types of Zelda games, like Zelda 1 and Link to the Past and stuff like that. But yeah, what an incredible... I mean, that's incredible. And and did all three. Like, that was his jam. Then, uh, we had uh, directing and producing a Mario Artist Paint Studio for... I think that was for... Yeah, the 64DD. Uh, then he was a producer on Smash Brothers, Donkey Kong 64, Pokemon Stadium, Kirby 64, Majora's Mask, which he did not design or direct, interestingly enough. Um, then uh, goes on, and if you look down the whole rest of it here, all he's been doing is producing since 1999 all the way down to 2002 when he finally designed and produced Pac-Man Versus. What a, what, a, what a weird thing. It goes back to producing, 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 producing. And then he produces and designs Super Mario Galaxy. That's a pretty good game, too. Then he designed Wii Fit and Wii Music, which I'm not going to give him a hard time for because he was thinking outside the box. Let's make music software for the Wii. Let's make exercise software. I'm not, I'm not going to give the guy a hard time. Produces a whole bunch more games throughout the, uh, the Wii U era. But doesn't design anything. Hmm, what does that tell you about those? Although, to be fair, the Wii U games are still great. I'm not going to criticize Wii U games. Uh, and then all the way down to Mario Odyssey, which he's credited for, but we don't see anything here as far as what he actually did. So again, not that he's doing so much designing and directing and producing now, but he was so influential and so iconic in early video games early Nintendo video games, he set a standard, I think, that many other people followed. And so, again, the original story was that the Japanese government honors Shigeru Miyamoto as a person of cultural merit. That's fantastic. He deserves it. I think that is huge cultural merit in Japanese society, what video games have done, and obviously where how Nintendo stands there. And I think that's pretty awesome. So, um, congratulations, Shigeru Miyamoto, and, and uh, congrats on your honor of being... Uh, a person of cultural merit in Japan. All right. And so that is it for the stories today. And guess what? You're going to be really surprised by this. I forgot to pick my game of the week. And I don't think I have anything in my pickup pile of the week. I have to go look real quick. But I'm going to keep you on here. I'm going to keep talking. We, know, we do this live, baby. We're doing this live. We're doing this live. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I don't think I have anything. I'm going to go check my pickup pile real quick. Y'all don't go nowhere.
All right, there's nothing in the pickup pile, y'all. That's 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 how unprofessional we are. You want to talk about being professional? I just get up in the middle of a podcast and walk into my living room and look at my pile of video games. But I don't have a pickup pile of the week, but I do have my game of the week picked out just now because I had to walk over and pick it up. Um, okay, so I don't have any bumper music today. Who cares? Um, so my game of the week. We're sticking with the PlayStation 1 theme again. We're going to get through alphabetically my entire PS1 collection eventually. But the game of the week today, game of the week today, game of the week this week, Bushido Blade for the PlayStation 1. Now, I've never heard of this game. It's essentially a one-on-one fighting game, but it had 3D arenas. So you, you know, think like Power Stone or like Fighting Force as you could run around, except it's a one-on-one fighting game. Uh, So really interesting levels really interesting areas like they had a bamboo forest where and everyone has swords and it's this really strategic fighting game like you have to strategically block you can realistically get killed in one hit if it's a proper death blow and so it's a really interesting fighting game you don't just mash buttons and try to take away their life bar like you have to get that perfect death blow so i don't know what that error message was (laughs) it's got an error message on my pc so uh, a really interesting game. It, it It's sluggish. It's PS1. It's 3D. It looks terrible. But the game itself has style. And the combat was fun. You can like you can get hit in the leg and then you'll be on one knee. And you can still fight but you're on one knee and obviously at a disadvantage. Then you can kick up sand into their face. Like It's it's such a weird fighting game because it's so technical. I would argue this game probably inspired some of the way combat works in the game For Honor. Because For Honor was like a very specific sort of rock, paper, scissors sort of combat and it focused on the technicality of combat not just a move that's faster or this or that so Bushido Blade for the PS1 it's about a $20 game probably 20 or $25 game but it's Bushido Blade it's really fun it's it's actually published by Squaresoft one of the first things they did on PS1 that wasn't an RPG and of course we all ate it up because if you saw a Squaresoft logo on a box during the PS1 era you bought that game (laughs) y'all so go go play it it's pretty fun Bushido Blade on the PS1 all right, and that is it for the podcast today. A little bit of a shorter one, but uh, I have to, when I'm done with this, I have to, after I'm done with all my videos and stuff, I actually have to uh, start 100% planning out my stream. I'm actually not doing the stream at my house like I normally do. I'm actually taking my equipment to the office where we do the dropcast every Monday night. And it's a bigger area, there's more room, but I have to move all my equipment. Um, so I'm probably going to take some of the equipment today, start doing, I might even do some room setup today. Not 100% sure, but. Uh, but yeah, we'll do something. Um, so it'll be it'll be nice to have the afternoon off to do that um, once I get done with all the YouTube stuff. So, as always, thank you so much for listening and watching. Again, follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Please donate to the Extra Life Charity. Please, please, please. It just it's the I care so much about it. And even if you do it, do it for the kids, right? But even if you hate children and you wish they were all gone. <laughs> donate because it makes me feel good <laughs> please please i beg you please it's just such a it's the one thing i really put all my effort into every year i i put so much into it because i just want to be so successful it's just it's my favorite time of the year to do something and i feel like it's finally when i get to give back to the community that's always been supportive of me also if you do donate i'm doing shout outs during the whole 24 hour uh live stream i'll be doing shout outs all the time and uh, I'll be chatting with people, we'll be doing all that sort of stuff, and it'll be fun. So, and so coming to, like I said, even if you open the Twitch window and walk away, leave it open the day, that helps me. You know, that helps me just having more people watching. Drop a line every now and then, drop some chat, and just be like, hey, you know, uh, 
you suck at monster hunters <laughs> just come in and say it it'd be great the 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 site to watch the stream is twitch.tv slash the drop rate again follow me on twitter if you need all the links i'm gonna be pushing all that stuff out probably an obnoxious rate um but hey it's what i do because i'm trying to raise some money for some sick kids so thank you as always for listening and watching i appreciate you all so much thank you thank you thank you subscribe to us on youtube youtube.com slash drop rate i love you we'll talk to you again next week have a good one bye-bye